Background Zechariah chapter 11 verses 12 and 13 and Matthew chapter 27 verses 9 and 10 was presented by Ron Julian on August 7, 2015 at Gutenberg College's Summer Institute. Reunion to Knock and the Gospel of Matthew The copyright for this recording is held by Gutenberg College, Inc. 2015. Gutenberg College is a non-profit organization and contributions may be made at www.gutenberg.edu. This material may be copied and distributed in whole for non-commercial and educational purposes, subject to the inclusion of this introduction. All other rights reserved. PDF notes accompany this talk. Okay, so it is my task to give a little background to the passages we're looking at in Zechariah and Matthew. Let me just be up front right at the beginning. This is the hardest, the one that I have least confidence that I understand what's going on, this particular one. So I'm just giving you a few things that have struck me as perhaps being relevant to what we're looking at here. I'm not trying to sell a particular way of looking at this because I don't have a particular way of looking at this yet. And I have a provisional way of answering the question, but it's tough. The basic point here is that Zechariah is like crazy. If you try to deal with Zechariah, this is a really difficult book to work through. When I have tried to make my way into Zechariah at very times in the past, I feel like I need to leave a trail of breadcrumbs so I can find my way back out afterwards because you get totally lost. Very unusual things in Zechariah. So he's writing at the time of the return from the Babylonian captivity. I just point out what is probably obvious to you, but Zechariah is a highly symbolic combination of visions and oracles. It can be very difficult to tell whether a particular passage is referring to Zechariah's time or far in the future. And I just give, for example, he talks about Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. But if you look at commentaries on all that material, some take it as being very specific and literal statements about the time. Others see it as being symbolic of the Messiah and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of stuff in Zechariah that's like that. And I think we're going to face that question in the actual passage that we're looking at. How much is it pointing beyond itself is a question that I think people are going to have to wrestle with. The words Matthew quotes seem pretty clearly to come from Zechariah 11:12 through 13, but Matthew says it's from Jeremiah, which is troubling or confusing. So there are several sorts of possibilities that have been proposed. We do see some examples in the Bible where several different prophets are put together, quotations that one from part from one prophet and one from another, but it's referred to as being from and probably one of the major prophets and you just don't mention the other ones. So some people propose, they notice that in Jeremiah, if you look at Jeremiah, in 18 and 19 and 32 of Jeremiah, you find stuff about a potter and you find stuff about a field and stuff like that. And the proposal is made that some of what's happening in Jeremiah, Matthew is assuming is somehow contributing to this picture. And so he says Jeremiah, but what he really means is Jeremiah and in this case, Zechariah, but 
Zechariah is a minor prophet, so he doesn't get mentioned. That's one way people go. There's the possibility that Jeremiah was the name of a larger collection that included Zechariah in some ways, and there are various ways that people might explain that that was the case. Of course, there's a possibility that Matthew made a mistake. He meant to say Zechariah, or he thought it was in Jeremiah. He's remembering back. Pastors do that kind of thing all the time. You know, they remember a verse, and they say, you know, I think it's in Jeremiah. It turns out, no, it's in Zechariah. It all depends on how you feel about the inerrancy of the Scriptures at that point. Or there's always the possibility of a transcription error that just very early on somebody wrote down the wrong thing and it just got copied that way. But that's something, whether it influences how we understand what's going on is the real issue. I will mention that some think it's significant that there is a possible textual variant in Zechariah that is the two places where it says potter there there is some possibility that instead it should be a different Hebrew word and the word means treasury. Obviously, that's interesting in the light of what Matthew's doing, but um, again, that's for you to explore. The word for the treasury in Matthew is korbanas, which is from the word korban, denoting those things that people give in dedication to God. You may remember Jesus talking about the problem he saw with children not supporting their parents because they are saying, well, my wealth has been declared to be korban. It's dedicated to God. So it seems to be that the treasury we're talking about here is where people's dedicated gifts to God were kept. So it was thought to be inappropriate to put blood money into it, and so they bought land to bury non-Jews instead. It may or may not be relevant as you try to sort this out that the book of Acts describes the death of Judas in a way that seems different from our passage. Acts says, Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out, and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. We'll just notice that we are now back again to one of the passages where Matthew is using the word fulfill, plerao, and the idea is that in some sense, this event with Judas is fulfilling this passage in the Old Testament, and that's the main question that we're exploring, is in what sense is it fulfilling it? I didn't write down, I sort of chickened out, but I probably shouldn't have. There is the issue of the money Here's what I can say about the shekels and stuff involved here. Probably the most significant or interesting thing is that in Exodus, we see that if you cause the death of a slave, you have to pay 30 shekels in restitution. And so some would say, okay, well, so 30 shekels, that's the price of a slave. The question of whether this is a large amount of money or a small amount of money I was going to try to settle that question, and then I found as I read that there was this debate among people as to just how much money this was, and I don't know how to settle the debate myself. So all I can say is it does seem like in the Zechariah passage that there's a certain amount of sarcasm involved, and it seems to be implying that this was not a huge amount of money that we're talking about here. But I couldn't prove it. I'm not an expert on how much a shekel is, 
we could look at the passage in Jeremiah that talks about buying a field. Jeremiah bought a field for 17 shekels. But then I asked myself the question, is that, oh, so that's about what a field was going for, 17 shekels. Or when I look at that, should I read, what a deal, I can't believe he got that field for 17 shekels. Or, man, he was robbed. He paid 17 shekels for a field. I don't know the answer to that question, so I don't quite know how to put that together. And you guys can wrestle with that. So let me just ask then before we go, is there anybody that thinks that there is any other background information about Zechariah or Matthew that would be helpful? Jack, is there anything else you think would be good to bring up? If not, all right, okay, so let's go.